Hey, everybody, it's Richard Harrison, Scott Lease with another edition of the Surf and Sales podcast brought to you by our good friends at Lead411, Gong.io, Perception Predict, Vidyard, and one more, Scott, who is it? Find them. Find them. There you go. All right. That's, we always leave that one in the back, so we have to find it. Uh, but equally important, um, Salesforce has been so gracious and kind to let us talk to two of their two of their people on the revenue ops team, and we'll let them describe that. But uh, first, want to introduce Greg Gassell and William. Is it Jagger, as in not related to Mick, or is it Jaeger, like what I used to drink in college? It's Jaeger, actually. Jaeger. Um, okay. Yeah. Greg. It's a mixture of the two, Richard. Exactly. <laughs> as always, I mess it up, right? So, um, so before we we get into this, you know, one of the things, one of the first things Scott and I saw when we looked at your profiles. Um, was just the longevity you both had at Salesforce, right? You've both been there a super long time. And I'm just curious, what's that like? Like I can't, and I know, you know, it's grown substantially and it may have been smaller then, but like, do you, like, what's that like? And maybe you don't even know because it's all you've done. Yeah, we can't, we can't relate. So we need you to, to teach it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's crazy for me. Like I started, you know, after college, I waited some tables, I did some temp work, I worked in a call center, um, and then I started working at Salesforce, um, and it was about 1,000 employees. I think my employee number is 1,900 or so, um, and now it's 50,000 plus employees. So it's been kind of a slow but fast growth. For me, it seems like a gradual, um, gradual growth, but when you look at us compared to a lot of companies, I mean, the growth has been crazy. So it's been quite the ride. I you know, I've stayed here for 14 years. Um, I think of myself as having three different careers at Salesforce. I started in uh, marketing operations and I was in sales. Um, and then I've been in product and product marketing for the last seven or so years. Um, so each, at each junction along the way, I was able to kind of shift and try something new. And the company has been very flexible with that. I think both times I thought about going back to business school. Um, I think a lot of companies, you hit a wall and you go to business school and then you come back and you try and go to something else. But Salesforce is always really supportive of learning by doing and just going for it. Um, so that's been my journey throughout. It's been each one's built upon the last, but they've certainly been some pretty dramatic shifts along the way. It's interesting because uh, I was I used to be like a Microsoft networking guy and was, you know, heavy, heavy into all the you know the network stuff on physical like physical networks and things like that and i was my boss's wife uh used to be an oracle and sap and then she kind of pursued the like me because she knew i could help her uh and and so um kind of encouraged me to come over and give up on all that stuff and move to the cloud and so and so I think it took me a long time to to give up all of my certifications and things back in the day but i started working for her um, in like uh, kind of configuring the the rules around quoting and stuff, and uh, and uh, and then ended up just really getting into it. And so I've been uh, kind of in the quoting space, in the quote to cash space, and revenue space for uh, for nine years. And, uh, and and I just barely recently moved over and transitioned to work on the on the product side with Greg, with Greg. Yeah. Did you get just out of curiosity, like when you were, you know, we always ask these kinds of questions, like you were when you were growing up, right? Did you want to be a policeman, a fireman in sales? Did you always like, you know, trying to figure out money things like either one of you? I'm just curious, like how you got into the business side of business. 
Uh, I wanted to be a spy, so I'm not quite sure how that translates <laughs> to product marketing. I'm sure there's some corporate there. <laughs> <laughs> I I find that I get I get I get swept up in the technology and this stuff, and so there was there's just there's a part of the technology that's moving faster than anybody can keep up with it, and so then I jump I kind of like catch that Gulf Stream or whatever and kind of coast along with it, and and so it's always there's always something super exciting, and and what's weird is that the quote to cash space and the quoting space and revenue space has been interesting enough that I haven't been interested in moving and the company that then Salesforce as an organization is pretty exciting and dynamic. And you're working with really, really bright people that like, that I don't know if I really get to interact with this many uh, people percentage wise, like that are so smart and so engaged and trying to be successful at this stuff. I want to, I want to pull us out of, of this for a second, because I think that we're all just like breezing past the, the main topic, which is revenue ops. And, and here's what I mean by that. I wanna know how you two define revenue ops because rev, rev ops is actually a fairly newish moniker because sales ops preceded it. And before that, I don't know what the fuck it was called, if it was called anything. So explain to everybody out there who's listening, what is revenue operations? So what's interesting is the way that you explain it is, is kind of how when I was talking about trying to keep up with the technology and stuff like the, like the evolution of what you just described is the evolution of how this stuff is kind of put forth. And so sales ops became rev ops. And, and, um, and so and so when we're talking about it, it's like in within Salesforce, there's a there's the this essentially the sales ops team rolls up into revenue operations. And and so there's the all the all the different parts of the company that that need to monetize or producing products or making things that are gonna gonna eventually turn into revenue, um, kind of have to have a process to turn them into SKUs and packaging and pricing and all that strategy stuff. And um, and so that turns into how you need to configure the systems and work with uh, with uh, with the IT teams. And and then and then feedback out to the strategy guys about you know forecasting and all the other stuff that in comp and all of the all of the big systems downstream and everything and so for um, and and it it's almost like a hub um, where all parts of the company kind of intersect with and, and so I don't know if that makes sense but like that's well, kind of so let let me ask your your partner here Greg now take what William said and give me a thirty second soundbite of what Rev Ops is. Um, I think that revenue operations has really become um, this kind of unifying point that is more important when businesses went from just making a widget and selling a widget and billing for a widget to actually doing that on a recurring basis. Um, so doing things like subscriptions and usage bases. Once you introduce time into a contract and a product, now it's actually a lot more complicated. Um, the way that you're going to sell these things and quote them and contract them and then ultimately renew them and then do crazy things like co-term add-ons and all this, these wild things that happen during the life of that contract, that actual operations process is where I think of revenue operations is. And it kind of sits in the middle of sales and finance to make sure that these are actual valid orders and we could do this. And then customer success, um, and renewals as well, like all of those things kind of come together in a way that now you actually need to treat your revenue like it's an ongoing thing. It's not a cash register anymore where I sell a pizza, I charge for the pizza. Now I'm doing this subscription thing so someone could 
go from the plain pizza to the pepperoni pizza and I actually need to charge them more for half of that contract and then reduce it because they got the soda out. That's a weird example to use. Um, <laughs> kind of popped in my brain there. But I think that now revenue operations is more important because it also fits between sales and finance. Because again, before you sell, you create a widget, you sell the widget for a discount and then you're done. Now you're actually starting to do way more complicated contracts and way more complicated terms with multiple different types of actual products. And when you can actually charge for that and when that revenue is recognized um, is something that gets increasingly complicated, but is also critically important for these businesses in order to grow and report revenue back to their yeah. shareholders and the street. Now, now what I, the part that I love the most about what you said is how RevOps is critically important. Um, I have been on the record for years and, and put this into practice when I was running sales orgs as a VP of sales, that my very first hire, when I take over an organization, my very first hire was a head of sales ops, head of revenue ops. That's how important it was to me. And I wouldn't take a job without getting the green light on making that my first hire. But what I want to know is why does it take people so long to invest in revenue operations? And I, you might have a different perspective here because you're at Salesforce and you got 50,000 employees and whatnot, but you just said how critically important it is for companies as they build out new products and, and whatnot. I'm thinking about early stage kind of companies or mid stage kind of companies who have put no investment in revenue operations whatsoever. Why do you think it takes people so long to come around on the importance of, of RevOps? So from my perspective, I think that there's an, there is a, there's a beginning part where you can, uh, where those functions can be absorbed by other parts of the company. So like, you don't need, um, you know, like if you've got a small team and a you know, really tight crew, you can, you, um, you'll work out the deals, you know what I mean? And, but when you start to need to scale those deals and, and, and get insight based on what those, how those deals were uh, structured and those types of things that those insights and things, those are difficult to scale kind of organically. And so when you, when you need it, you really need it. And when you, uh, but at the beginning, you kind of can, can be like, Oh, this is going to work out. Or I know we've got a really good, strong CFO that can make all these decisions on our behalf or whatever. But as you start to scale and it really becomes a function of not just, you know, can we handle the transaction volume, but like, can we, can we get glean insights from those transactions as well? Yeah. And I'm going to steal something William told me earlier um, when we were talking is, you know, for a long time, you can just sell stuff and move fast and figure out the compliance and the strategy behind it later. Like you can go retrofit compliance and you can retrofit actually like the legal and all that stuff. Like, I mean, so many earlier stage companies, like they're just moving fast and getting any dollar they can in. And so that incremental headcount of buying a sales rep versus buying someone who is not going to generate any immediate sales, but is, you know, a cost. Um, I think it's a tough trade-off to make, right? So a lot of companies figure like get the dollars in now and figure out the strategy and the actual compliance and the controls and the scale part later. So I want to sort of dig, go off that. And I am curious, as we, as we define y'all's roles, at Salesforce, are you the internal RevOps team or are you also sort of brought in to help the customers understand this concept, right? Um, 
because I think there's a lack of education to Scott's point where it's, you know, into to what William said is like, just go grab the cash. Right. Um, so just, I, I have another question around that, but I'm just curious where you guys really fit in that part of the ecosystem. So I started in the nuts and bolts of the kind of the internal stuff of it, um, where I was the last nine years and just barely transitioned over to kind of the, kind of the product side of it. And, 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 and so like I get pretty deep, I tend to get pretty deep in the weeds on some of these things. And so I'm not really customer facing or whatever. And so like, I, they kind of kept me in the back room for most of, most of my stuff. So, so then I, so here's my question. How would you coach a startup like, or, or a company to drive the ROI to get permission to have a rev ops team or even sales ops. Like I know Scott's had this conversation, so I know his answer, um, but I'm curious, how do you guys pitch it internally? When did you guys sort of realize it? What advice would you give to people who are like, I'm interested in doing this. What should I go tell my boss about it? So what's interesting is, is that um, you end up in a situation where you, the, the role is created by who needs it the most. And so what the intent of the business is, like if you, if you want to be sold, like you're, you're gonna have different goals and different uh, like structural things that will make you look really good on paper, or you're gonna, or if you want to be heavy, heavy growth. And so in, from a Salesforce, we were, we were all about deferred revenue, revenue subscription models, right? And that was pretty new. And like, there, were, there weren't a lot, there wasn't a lot of technology in there to, to reinforce it. And it was pretty sophisticated. And so automating a deferred revenue subscription model uh, and meant being really rock solid on compliance and a bunch of other stuff. And so, and so that was the way that that was funded. There's other companies that are like, Oh, we we want to we want to really focus on on you know absolutely blanketing the market with, with field sales or something like that, right? Like in there and and so they so it's a sales oriented like pitch that you're trying to optimize. So are you, uh, are you saying then that sort of the summary of that is that hey, once you decide to go RevOps, you're look you're you're playing more of a long tail game. You really see this bigger picture. Is is that kind of what you're suggesting? Yeah, I think so. And, and, and maybe the big picture is I want to be sold or picked up and I need to, I need, I want to look healthy and clean. Right. Like, and, and, or I want to grow rapidly over an extended period of time. And I don't want to like optimize every, uh, like all the money that goes through the system. Um, or I, or I want to make sure, you know, if customer success is absolutely critical, the way that we think about it, you know, making sure that the customer can, can like, is getting the value out of everything that they're purchasing and, and, and saying, oh, wow, this is really making me successful. Then, then you're like, oh, how do I, how does, how, how do I get my salespeople to sell this stuff so accurately that the customer is always satisfied with it, that they can consume it and use it right away and, and get the value out of it immediately. And so there's, there's, you know, it, I think that those, the intent behind what your plan is, yeah, is a long-term plan. Yeah. What do you think, Greg? I'm curious. Yeah, I was thinking about that, and I love to hear Scott's opinion too. But like, I think of sales ops and revenue ops as actually two very different functions. And I kind of think in the maturity of a company, you're kind of looking at sales ops first. So I look at sales ops as like, how can we be more strategic about our sales investments and our sales targeting and our sales compensation um, and kind of our pricing and products? to move faster and sell more stuff quickly. And then I look at revenue operations, okay, as, as we're going quickly, how do we do that in a way that's not reckless? 
and we are not having revenue leakage or actually able to collect on all of these things and have good clean revenue versus just booking a bunch of orders that we may or not be able to actually recognize later. So I think it's kind of the maturity there of the sales operations is really fueling the sales organization and the revenue operations organizations kind of putting the guardrails a little bit on that rocket car to make sure it stays somewhat um, on the road going very quickly. What's, um, so inter I think what's, that what's interesting to me there is, is that um, by that definition, I as the sales leader was doing sales ops and my head of sales ops was doing revenue operations. So I actually was optimizing for what Greg was talking about that happens in larger orgs right from the beginning is because I think I've done this so many times. I know all the fucking things we're going to crash into down the road. And I'm like <laughs> trying to avoid some of those things as best I can as early as possible. I was going to say, Scott, you, you and I met at the first company we were working with together and we neither had sales ops or revenue ops and we crashed into everything. Yeah, well, I don't even think that there was sales ops was not even a thing no. in 2006 or seven or whenever we were uh, working together. What thinking about not just sort of who owns it, which I which I really loved your point, William, of like whoever fights for it the most is probably going to own it, right? Sales, marketing, customer success, get it. Let's say you have a head of sales and a head of marketing and a head of uh, and a head of customer success, but you you think you need to go get a CRO or even someone who's just going to focus on head of sales ops or revenue ops. What are those things you're looking for? Like what would, you know, if you were at a startup, you got hundred, 200 employees, it's time to sort of scale, go long tail. What would you want that person to know how to do? I think it's being able to identify and build the right levers in which to grow your organization. Cause I think the difference between a VP of sales and a CRO is VP of sales is, working with the channels that are available to you right now and the products that are available to you right now to hit that growth target that is set out. I think the CRO is looking a little bit more long tail of like how in a subscription model, can I sell this and make sure I keep my attrition numbers low and keep my renewals up, right? To preserve that back end of the business. But then also looking at what's my partner, what's my BD strategy? Like how am I implementing self-service? Um, how am I going beyond just direct sales in order to take um, the products that we're selling and get them out there in new different ways and new different and new channels? Does that mean then that a, a, a VP of sales by default may not get that CRO title within the current organization because they're supposed to be executing? They're supposed are you, to try, are you trying to anger me, Richard? Are you trying yes. to get through <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to show Scott why he kept fucking up all along. So. <laughs> so. Yeah, I spent a lot of years in sales here at Salesforce, and, and you knew the different leaders, right? There were leaders that looked at it from the longevity and the health of the business, and there were leaders who looked at their only goal was to get to 150% of their number. And okay. there's like a different approach, and there's different, like a different innate quality in those different leaders. Like I remember one sales leader, like on the 30th would walk down the sales floor and pull out $200 bills. So the first two, two people to sell this product gets a hundred dollar bill. It would stand there until someone threw it at it. Like that person doesn't care about booking good, clean revenue. They care about getting the dollar in the door. Um, and then it's someone else's job to figure out like whether that deal was actually shit or that a person actually sold the right thing to the right person at the right time. 
right? And so there's just kind of a different mindset depending on who your VP of sales is. And I'm curious to hear like which VP of sales was Scott. <laughs> oh, I've, I've, I've been, I've been, hey, hold on, hold on, Scott. I, which one of you thinks Scott's the guy who holds the hundred dollar bills? And which one of you thinks I'm the one who holds the dollar bills? <laughs> <laughs> Scott's got to hold the hundred dollar bills. <laughs> I've been, I've been, I've been both. To be honest with you, Greg, you know, early, very early in my career, um, all I cared about was hitting my number, and I was like thinking about it and operating in a silo of like, in a way, just like protecting my own ass and st- and staying employed, and and getting and getting paid, and then I just started to realize how short-sighted that was and how the betterment of the whole business would actually tack on increased valuation, which in turn would make things more lucrative for me. And and that was maturity in in a lot of ways. Um, And I didn't, this goes back years now, but like I didn't have the network around me or the, the information and the content to kind of coach me up and whatnot. So I, I had to go through that process. But I will say that I've been both, even even in the last couple of years, I'll still put a couple hundred dollar bills up, but everybody knows it better be the right kind of revenue. <laughs> trying to marry the two together. I, w- I want to ask you guys um, a question that I get asked all the time, um, in particular, because I am a big advocate for, for revenue operations. The question that I get asked all the time is, how do I hire for this particular role? What are the qualities and skill sets that I need to look for in a head of sales ops or head of revenue ops? So how, how would you answer that for, uh, for everybody listening? So in Salesforce, it's interesting because the way that we roll up through finance, <clears throat> um, you know, the, the, the SOX compliance stuff, plus the fiduciary responsibilities, plus, you know, being a publicly traded company, adds some you know rigor and some responsibility and that and that gives you some some over some air cover when you need to we need to push back on something right and so and so it's been that ability to balance and and try to figure out like you know make make you know hit the number or you know or sell the kids right like and so it's like let's not sell the let's not sell the children let's let's make sure that this is going to be long long term healthy revenue that kind of keeps going is um it, it, you know it's it's that balance that uh, where you understand the systems the the and then the sales process and and the revenue and everything else that i think is important Yeah, well, I think having someone who's also yeah. empathetic between the two sides, right? Yeah. Like someone in revenue operations needs to have some, because like sometimes when you look at it from a strictly financial point of view, it's like, what are these sales reps doing selling a deal like this? Like, I can't approve this. Like you view the finance people as like just a permanent no machine. Someone has to be able to find that sweet spot in the middle between giving the sales team enough flexibility in order to meet the customer needs, but then someone who also has the financial backing to say like, look, I can bend a little bit here, but I cannot break on this other thing and be able to respect kind of both sides. Cause sometimes when you have someone who's just come purely from one side or the other, you lose that nuance of respecting kind of like what the other team is going to accomplish. Cause quite frankly, you have different needs and different responsibilities, right? Someone in finance is, 
making sure that the CFO is going to go to jail because you reported the wrong revenue numbers, right? Yeah. So, um, so or your, you, your board's not going to kill you. So do you need somebody or want somebody or prefer somebody who comes from a sales background so they are more empathetic to the plight of a salesperson? Or the opposite side, do you need or want or prefer somebody who comes from the finance side so they understand the plight of the finance side? How do you, how do you marry those two things together in, in someone to run your rev ops team? This is the question that gets asked all the time by founders in particular, earlier stage, A to C series kind of founders. They're like, I don't even know. I don't know what questions to ask. I don't know what skill sets they need to have. So I'm trying to push you on this a little bit. Give me the, who's the ideal candidate, right? I, I had the luxury of working for like my, my former boss and, and her boss, like where like they would put this, they'd, they would take any situation and kind of put the customer in that situation and try to figure out what was the best because reaching for that customer perspective and trying to do the right thing for the customer first kind of allowed you to play it out from like an aggressive sales kind of thing to a to a the most fiscally responsible for the company kind of a thing but really kind of like 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 it was it's and it's part of the culture at salesforce to always kind of like oh i understand what your intent is here you know by you know um comping this way but like we i also understand what what it's going to do to the sales motion when they engage with the customer right and so it's like having that all like well-balanced perspective around things i think helps play pay out a lot um and and so sometimes an operations person that understands the perspective those separate competing perspectives um, it pays off. And my, like Heather Atkinson and Meredith Schmidt at, at Salesforce were absolutely incredible and, and uh, um, in always trying to like put the customer first. Yeah, I think at the end though, like I completely agree, but like when you're looking at what's that split, like you can't break the financial regulations, right? The, the like the accounting rules and the SOC compliance are the rules. And so you kind of need, if you are, if I were just to pick like, someone who's 60, 40 sales versus finance, I would probably err on the side of finance because like, if you like can't make the deal terms work, you lose a customer and you know, no one wants to do that. No one in sales wants to hear like, we're going to give up on this customer, but the downside of booking revenue that you can't actually recognize or getting in terms that you have to go back to the customer. I think there's just more downside on the finance side than there is on the sales side. Like the, it's like buying a stock versus an option, right? Like the downside on the sales side is just you don't get that deal. The downside on the finance side could actually be worse. You could create farther problems for yourself down the road and like, I mean, it's accountability up to your board. I mean, there's all these problems that come on the so finance side that are actually more substantial. So, so I'm going to push even deeper. You're advising a company that's, that's just got series B or C, right? They're not going after that level of scrutiny, right? It may be yeah. down the road, right? What kind of questions should I be asking this potential revenue leader as I'm interviewing them? Like, what should I, you know, even if I, let's just say that I'm not even gonna worry about the compliance, like not to say we're not gonna worry about it, but at, <laughs> at, a, at a B or C stage company, you're not totally worried about it. What kind of things are you asking? What's interesting is I um, is there's a there's a component where you, where you deconstruct your 
your business process and it gets down to the atomic parts and you're like a negotiation and legal, you know, I'm, I'm the commitment to pay and we're delivering service kind of those types of things. Right. And like, and if they can, if the, that end to end process is well understood and you can understand how much flexibility can be built around these things that, that are, um, that are absolute that like really. And so one of the things that Salesforce, you know, the concept of, where orders are used is pretty concrete, and we and we and we and then we can you establish those kinds of rules around how that is how that's handled, and then you can then you can use those assumptions to build automation and other things around it, and so and so being able to understand how this stuff is it fits together from an end to end perspective is um, is is something that would be really important to me because I think it's really easy to find specialists that can come in and understand the the front half of the sales side or people that understand you know billing and uh like billing systems or, or those types of uh, accounting functions but uh, um but that end-to-end perspective um is the thing that i think that that I, I mean i would be looking for to make sure that there was you know some some depth to the um to the experience there what what is your take on doing RevOps internally versus externally. There's a million and one RevOps as a service companies and, and consultants and whatnot now. Um, I'm wondering what your thoughts are. Like, when did this become a focus inside of Salesforce? Did you start and build it all internally? Was there external people kind of brought in? What kind of advice would you give folks who are out there thinking about RevOps for the first time and, and not really knowing how to how to build it and scale it? We used to do a lot of, I mean, it, when we were inventing a lot of how this stuff was supposed to work, nobody was, nobody was around to show us best practices. And so we would just uh, evolve, like do something really expediently and um, and, and then we ended up like overcomplicating some things and then you have to, you know, put them back together and, and, um, and, and I don't know, I, I lost my thread there. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. So what haven't we talked about at RevOps? Like we, we've dug in on some questions. We've gotten into some tactical things. What's something maybe we should have asked because maybe we didn't know or something like, oh, you know what, here's what people should think about the RevOps that we haven't covered. Um, I think one of the big things is just how are you, we talked about this a little bit, like just balancing the needs for innovation versus the needs to actually scale and be able to collect uh, and collect cash. We didn't really talk about kind of the collect side of it. And that's also extra important for smaller businesses. And we've seen that, um, especially during COVID, like being able, because revenue operations actually enables you to be flexible with your payment terms and your contracts so that people don't just ghost you and kind of go away. Um, the revenue operations that. side. That sounds really good. Like that sounds like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Um, <laughs> you know, and I know it, just so you know, Scott's got to go take his kids to do something. So he may jump, but in the meantime, so keep going. But how do you do that? Like, what's that really mean? Because I, I get it conceptually, but what's it really mean? Um, I think that you like need processes and then obviously technology in the place so that when you do want to change a contract term or some part of a contract or the days, um, 
or like your payment terms, for example, that you have a way to do that in a scalable fashion that's not just on the back of a napkin that will bite you down the line. Because I know we were talking before about compliance and compliance is important for bigger companies, but like the way that compliance is translated into smaller companies is actually just being able to collect on the deals that you've sold, right? So that someone has to pay you. Um, and so when you think about what it actually takes to do that, it's, you have to have a single, like a one unified view of a customer that revenue operations is ultimately accountable for and be able to send out a bill and have a way to actually collect on that kind of stuff. So all that ultimately flows through the revenue operations team as well. And so, you know, during like the last year, which has been nuts, like businesses are trying to reevaluate where they're spending all of their cash and are they making investments in the right place? And so instead of for a company to be able to just reduce a customer spend to half versus zero or change the way that they're billing on the subscription and charging for a less upfront and more down the road, like being able to actually do that quickly and have a process for that, that isn't completely manual and has some kind of standards is what re revenue operations will be ultimately be responsible for. Yeah. So basically what you're saying is all the sales leaders love to go out and make all the special promises and all the craziness in the deals. You then dump it off on me and sales ops to figure out how to put in Salesforce. I, you know, I need to put some rules. Exactly right. <laughs> exactly <laughs> right. Stop saying and having that. some kind of yeah. Stop you saying hold for customer success, please. So, <laughs> so um, that's fascinating. That, that's really good. I, I'm glad you did hit on that because it is not something that we had that we talked about. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna flip it over in a second um, as we do sort of our outro um, and ask you to think about this in a second. I'm gonna ask you, you know, where can we be of help to you? Um, but, you know, obviously I want to give a shout out to Lead411, Findem, Perception Predict, Gong, um, and all our other sponsors who, who've been with us for a super long time. So thank you very much. But what can we do to help you guys? I mean, you're Salesforce. We get it. We know. But is there something that, that you know, you want to ask us or you want to talk about that Salesforce is, you know, thinking of doing or I don't know, you got a special promo or buy one month, get one free. I don't know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think from the help, like, I think this conversation is really enlightening about that sales ops versus rev ops versus CRO conversation as you're at that earlier stage company. You know, a lot of the time we end up thinking about it for bigger, like, you know, mid-sized plus companies. But I think those decisions now are being made much, much earlier in the evolution of a company versus where they were before. Like you, like you said, you could get by just a VP of sales feeling the top line and figuring out the bottom line later. Uh, but I think now, again, with more and more different ways to go to market, it's increasingly important to have someone who's thinking about the full funnel and the full actual revenue life cycle all right. the way through. So we love hearing those stories and knowing like what else is happening out there and how people are making that trade-off. How about you, William? What else do you want to throw in there? Got a question you want to ask or some way we can support you? Wants, I no, can tell I, mean, I can put you in front of the customer, make you customer facing if you want. Oh man! Yeah. No. <laughs> I uh, so from it's the inter one of the things that I'm thinking about a lot is you know the how the industry is evolving, and so the fact that conversations like this are taking place and and where we didn't have guidance before, there's experts now like you guys and and, and conversations where you you know the 
like it's like oh how does this work you know and uh, in different segments in different parts of the in the industry and and you know we came up we've come a long way from you know the systems were built for the you know these um you know tractor parts and and server farms and things like that in the old days and and it's it's different than subscription revenue and and it's different than some of these things that um that you know that where the industry has has come and so like just the fact that these conversations are taking place is i think i think healthy for the for everybody yeah it, i mean it, it goes back all the way to to you know benioff's ethos of the democratization of software right like when I'm sure when he came up with that, revenue ops may not have been exactly where he was going, right? But he knew that there was something around revenue that he had to build, and this is where he started, and it's and it's evolved into that. So um, yeah, so I, I and totally then from agree. like the Salesforce side as well, you know, we are announcing um, like our new product, which is Revenue Cloud, and I think we're trying to follow, or we are following the technology trends. So we had it, you know, we acquired a company called Steelbrick a couple of years ago. That was like a really good job. Quote, it's a big CPQ, deal. I remember right? that one. Yep. And so Steelbrick has evolved quite a bit into Salesforce CPQ. And then we launched billing to actually complete that revenue transaction. And now revenue cloud is kind of the ultimate embody of that, of like, what is the actual tool that someone in revenue operations could use to handle all of these transactions and all of these different business models and launch products faster um, and so that's what we're shooting. That's what we're aiming for with Revenue Cloud is to be able to actually have one system that all these things existed for. Because all these different groups and different functions we've talked about, like we didn't talk about the technology behind them, but there right. is a different system, in-sourced, outsourced, Excel, homegrown, some old, you know, arcane system. Like, I mean, there's a million different ways to approach this. And what our goal is, is to bring that all together on top of the Salesforce customer 360 platform. It's supposed to say Quip instead of Excel. Is it that? that? <laughs> <laughs> well, Excel is still out there. I mean, Excel is used by many um, to solve their problems. You know, I talk like I can't tell you how many customer conversations I talk to, and it's like, how are you doing this now? Well, a combination of Excel, and then we hired a bunch of people. Like right. Excel plus people can solve nearly any problem in the world. <laughs> it's scale. It's I think that's the title of our episode. Excel plus people versus revenue ops. Right? <laughs> um, I actually, you actually did make me want to ask one more thing, right? Because, uh, you know, I didn't, you may not be allowed to answer, but we'll see. With the advent of this new revenue cloud that, that's coming out um, next week, how does Einstein play a role into that? Or is it, well, first we got to do the revenue cloud piece and we got to tinker with it a little bit more and get users in it and figure it out. And then we're going to put Einstein on top of it. Um, or, or, is re or is revenue cloud a birth from Einstein? Uh, you know, the, the nice thing is because Einstein's part of the core Salesforce platform. Right. It's really available for anything now. Um, so when you look at like Salesforce CPQ and Salesforce Billing, like kind of the two anchor products in revenue cloud, um, we're seeing more and more intelligence into those like, billing we're having Einstein analytics dashboard so you can actually see what's been collected and what's outstanding um, you know we have Einstein deal guidance and Salesforce CPQ so that we can actually start to um, give sales reps an indication of what should you be pricing this product at so we're seeing more and more and you know as we have these conversations about revenue cloud like I don't have any specific products like tomorrow that are coming out but I think AI is really going to change the game around um, CPQ and billing and really the entire revenue operations because there's really 
there are plenty of systems out there to do pricing and price optimization. Usually they're done separate. It's like a pricing team or one person who got really smart and they tried to figure out how to do their there's pricing. It's never, yeah, there's deal desk. Like there's this real sweet spot for AI based on all the transaction volume and all the quotes you're running. You have so much data out there. There's so much opportunity to apply some intelligence to that and actually be able to give your sales reps a way to increase margin. And that's how small companies scale to become big companies and you punch way above your weight. It's not just guessing at the price. It's actually being able to do that. And then when you do that across channels too, like imagine having AI tell you, like when I sell it direct, I can sell it for 50 bucks. When I sell it to a partner, I can sell it through 40. But self-service, because no one's involved, I can actually sell it for 70 because like it starts up here and they don't really know, like for whatever reason, but you can pick these things out by using intelligence. And since, again, design sets part of Salesforce, it's included. So right. you can start to build these models out now. So it's funny because we didn't even talk about this. And I don't know that we'll get into it, but maybe it's worthy of another conversation or, you know, I know you guys are working on stuff internally is like, when do you talk about pricing in the revenue operations piece and margins? Like we didn't even talk about that because you know, RevOps is about not just the cash flow, it is about the margin of that cash flow, right? And it all matters. Um, so I don't know if you can give a quick, well, here's how we would put that in the revenue ops team or, or say, yes, Richard, that's a good discussion. We'll, we'll do it again another day, which is fine. <laughs> yeah, I think that gets pretty complex because you know, you've got your guys that are setting list prices and, and then you've got your teams that are analyzing fair market value within the company, and then, they, and then they're using those insights that are operationalized uh, by the RevOps team, and then the analysis on where those come in goes back and feeds the beast, right? And, and so you, it goes back into the system and, and, and then insights are gleaned and, and stuff is, is, is kind of handled that way. Um, I'm yeah, gonna give one piece of advice to everybody. Don't ever use the phrase list, list price, right? As soon as a buyer ever hears <laughs> list price, guess what I heard? Sweet, there's something better. Right, like you know, <laughs> say market rate. The market rate is. You can't argue with the market rate. No, nobody goes in and argues about what the lobster is. Oh, it's at market price. Well, I don't know what the fuck that is, and they can charge me anything they want. <laughs> so it's like I just assume when I go buy a car, like that's just your initial offer. Right, exactly. <laughs> I know that's not what we're doing. Right? So, but I, I agree with you, that. William. It is. It is a super deep subject, um, and I think it's something that, that's worthy of. The conversation that you know we just didn't get a chance to get to today but um yeah i think the pricing part is is fascinating and moving pricing out of just like the deal desk and um kind of like the revenue operations bit and getting it into the hands of the sales reps in a way that's not just a discount matrix that gets updated annually like to be able to be a little bit more nimble um and adjust as the market conditions do i think it's super powerful um, I mean, if you look at, again, just look at this year, right? Like the, like your fair market value or, or what would you call it? The market bearing price, like right. changed between January to April to oh. August to last week to this week. It's completely changed. You know, <laughs> I, my value stayed the same. So my price stayed the same. In fact, I actually took my price up. Um, but, the, <laughs> but to your point, like, this is what I teach people to say was someone says, well, you know, we need something better. And I was like, well, you know, look, I'll be honest with you. You know, the market determines the price of my service, not someone's, you know, sell X22-14. You know, I don't know. Like, I'm not even going to ask you how I came up with the budget because it kind of doesn't matter. The market tells me what I'm worth. And if you want to pay me that, then great. And if not, I'll find someone else who will. Right. Like that's yeah. 
that that's the piece that that people don't know how to do. Uh, not to say that you shouldn't take care of loyalty and you can't do discounts on multi-year deals and that there's value in that stuff too. But it's a it's a big thing for me. I always talk about pricing. So, um, so anyway, guys, I, I just want to say thank you. I know Scott had to drop off, but fascinating, like really, really good, um, particularly coming from a company as large as yours. So we, you know, please thank you everybody over at Salesforce who made this happen. Our friend, Tim Clark is, of course, didn't ask any questions about Tim, shit. Um, should ask. <laughs> uh, but uh, thank you guys so much. We really appreciate it. I assume if people want to get a hold of you, LinkedIn is probably the easiest way if they have a question or they want to follow up on something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Great. Thank you so, thank you so much for the opportunity. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much for having us. Really appreciate yeah. it. Yep. Yeah. Bye.